We're going to continue this morning in a, a sermon series, and we're going to continue this morning in worship through the Word. Um, we took a few weeks off to talk about being on mission together at Family Bible Church and what that looks like. By the way, just a, by way of a reminder, as of today, um, we heard no more, you know, troubling conversations with the leadership team. So the idea of being on mission at Family Bible Church is available for whenever you feel compelled to take that step with us, you're welcome to do that. We're not going to have a ceremony or anything like that. It's going to be an individual decision for you. If you feel like you're on mission with Family Bible Church, uh, come talk to a leadership team member. We'll, we'll walk you through that process. But anyway, we took a few weeks off to talk about that for the church and what God is doing in that way. And now we're getting back into the study of the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you brought your Bibles this morning to worship. Um, I would inc- always encourage you to bring your Bibles to worship, by the way. But if you didn't bring one, we should have them on the picnic tables in front of you or around you. And you can check out the Word with us. Uh, my prayer as we study the word of God is that you would not take um, my word for it, but you would look with your own eyes, listen with your own ears, pray with your own mouth and your own heart, and seek what God has for you in his word. Uh, I believe it's a sustaining word for us that that changes our lives. And so uh, that's why we preach it. That's why we read it and study it and pray over it. And so we're going to continue this morning in the book of Hebrews. So we've been doing this for a while. We actually started, I think, before the end of the school year last year, which is pretty wild, and we're still walking through Hebrews. We're in Hebrews 7 this morning, but I want to bring you up to speed a little bit on where we're at in Hebrews, and here's the synopsis. If, if you're here for the first time today, and you're like, oh, this ain't going to make no sense to me, here's the, here's the nutshell of Hebrews, right? Jesus is better. Like, that's it. Like, Jesus is better. He's better than anything you can hope for or imagine, better than the, the prophets before him, better than all the, the saints who've come. Jesus is better than everything else in our life, or even all the history recorded in our Bible. Like, Jesus is better than all those things. And that's the proclamation of Hebrews that we've been participating in together. We talked about how, as a culture, we're kind of in the spirituality, but not into uh, specifics sometimes. We kind of like to generalize spirituality, but the gospel is very specific about Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews says that, you know, the author of Hebrews says, you want to hear a word from a prophet? Awesome. Jesus is greater than all the prophets. The, The father has spoken through his son. He says, you believe in angels? Awesome. Jesus is better than angels, right? Angels worship Jesus. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. And on it goes, Moses, this great man of faith. Maybe you've never been to church, but you've heard the story of Moses, right? And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than Moses, which is a pretty radical claim, especially in written to a Jewish believing group, right? These people who come to believe in Jesus, who are Jewish in their faith and, and believed in the Messiah. And then the last two times ago, now we're going to think back for a minute. It was about Aaron. Jesus is greater than Aaron. And you remember Isaac Barber gave that great, great sermon on Jesus being the anchor, the forerunner of our faith. And so in case you're kind of like me and you're a little foggy, we're going to back up and we're going to talk about from that point on to this idea of Melchizedek. Uh, Whenever Isaac was with us last, he said, man, I I wish I could be there when you talk about Melchizedek. Well, guess what? That's where we're at today. We're going to talk about Melchizedek, this great high priest of um, the God Most High. And so we're going to talk about that today as well from Hebrews. So that's kind of where we're at. I want to ask a question as we get into the Word this morning to kind of get our minds thinking, right? And uh, I don't know if you've ever been into like, um, you know, the limitations of humanity or the lack of limitations. Have you ever thought about um, how incredible it would be to have like a special power? Anybody think about that? 
before. Yeah, a few of you have. Yeah, double hand, that's, that's nice, right? We actually have kind of an obsession in our culture with superhuman powers, don't we? I mean, we, right now, like Marvel is turning out so many movies, it's ridiculous about superhuman strength. Chris and I went and worshiped another, another church a few weeks ago. Their whole sermon was on a comic book hero. And I was thinking, man, that's great. It's crazy. This last week, I was um, in my house. Do anybody do binge watching, like a binge watching of a show? You can admit that in church. That's okay if you do. Yeah, a few of you are being honest this morning. Like, that's all the thing now. No more commercials. Sit down, just blocks of time. Just feed me the show, you know? In our house, it's been um, Stan Lee's Superhumans. We, that my son started binge-watching that show. And it's crazy when you start to look at the abilities that human beings, some human beings have. I mean, it's mind-boggling, right? Today, we're going to talk about that same kind of idea, and it's this, the power of an indestructible life, right? A, a supernatural life. What would it be like? I mean, I'm going to ask that question at the get-go here. Like, what would it be like to live a life where you're indestructible? Now, I know some of you have teenagers and you think, well, I see how they live, right? That's, that's what teenagers do. You live like you're indestructible. You ever watch those dudes who skate or guys who snowboard or, or you know, whatever, the, the like extreme sport? Like, they're, they're indestructible, right? Or so they think. And for those of us who live long enough to break bones and stuff, we're like, man, you're going to break something, you know? You're going to get older or whatever. Um, it'll happen. But what would it look like uh, to live a life that's indestructible. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today from the book of Hebrews. I'm going to ask you that we always do. We're going to pray. Um, we always pray when we're in God's word. We believe God inspired it, and he can inspire us to understand it. So that's why we ask his blessing this morning. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we come into your house to worship you and to sing praises to your name. We do come here confessing that you are God and we are not, that we are limited and finite beings, but we're your creation and we're your creatures, and that we want to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. We ask that you would help us to understand your word more fully, that we could recognize you in the word, and we could have our lives transformed by your power every day. Father, I don't know what you have for us today, but I pray that you would set our hearts and minds at ease, and you would bless us through your word today, and that you would indeed inspire us to live a more faithful and full life. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So we're going to turn to Hebrews. If you brought a, a Bible with us, you can, with you, we're going to look at Hebrews 7, so you can turn there. We're going to pick it up. I want to pick it up in um, verse 18 of chapter 6, though, to kind of give you the reminder about what Isaac uh, preached about a few weeks ago, right? This is what the word says. Um, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he, uh, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged talk about that in a minute. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, now here's the word, who went before us has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever. And here's the word in the order of Melchizedek. I want you to see two things here from what the, the author of Hebrews is saying to the church. The first thing is this, that you and I should run to Jesus. That we should, it's, the word says that we have, we flee to him, right? That we run to Jesus, that he's our savior. And that's the confession of the author of Hebrews, right? And so there's this reality that, that we should not, I love the idea of fleeing. Like you're fleeing destruction, you know? You don't walk to a fire exit, right? Well, they ask you to, but you, you, if there's always in your way, you run to the fire exit, you know? You get out. Um, and that's the gospel is that we run to Jesus in our time of need. 
But then the second thing I want you to see from this is this idea that Jesus has been thrown like an anchor behind the veil into heaven as our sure and certain hope. And that's a priestly responsibility. I don't know what image you get in your mind of an anchor. I almost have the image of like one of those guys who throws that big hammer throw. Yeah, so that's kind of what, that's like Jesus has been catapulted into eternity, into the heavenly realms, and he's our anchor. That's why I love that chain image. He's our anchor and our sure and certain hope of what we're going to receive. You see, that's what it says there. Do you see it? It says that he went before us, a forerunner on our behalf, and has become then the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So I, and that, that's just kind of what Isaac was talking about, a sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus' name. We are so blessed to have it. Um, those two things I hope are true for you. I hope, you've, I hope you've run to Jesus, and I hope you're counting on him as your sure and certain hope in times of trouble, but for all eternity, which is an amazing concept. Now we're going to pick up in verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and the priest of the God Most High. He met Abraham and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. I'm going to stop here. So there's a story in the Israelite history of this guy um, named Melchizedek, this, this priest. And also he was called the king of Salem. And I'm going to share that with you. This is from the book of Genesis, chapter 14. And this is, this is an interesting story because you remember Abram was called out of Ur by, by the holy God. He was called to follow him into an unknown land. And as Abram's going, there's trouble along the way, right? But here where we meet uh, Melchizedek is this moment of victory for Abram. Like he just routed three or four kings and he's the victor in this battle. And so that's a big uh, important setup for this conversation. So I'm going to just read to you from Genesis 14 starting in verse 17. After Abram had returned from defeating, and there's a crazy name here, Ked, Kednor Lomir or something. I don't even know how you pronounce that. And the kings who allied with him. So it wasn't just one king. He defeated several kings. The king of um, Sodom came out to meet him in the, in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Now, here's where the word comes in 18. Then, at that time, in that moment, when he's meeting this, you know, this king, uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem. And by the way, Salem is also, means, like, it's like a Shalem, like um, peace. It's the early name for Jerusalem, the place of peace, which is interesting, right? This Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of the God Most High, which is the defining word here. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And the last thing I'll read to you this morning from this is this. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, I want you to see three things that I think are peculiar in Genesis whenever Melchizedek shows up for Abram. First of all, it's on the heels of victory. So that's a bonus. That's not one of the three. But the second thing is, I want you to notice that whenever this king of Salem shows up, he brings out bread and wine. Now, that could be simply like some food for the soldiers and something to drink that's not going to make them sick, you know, because of the problems of water and, and impurity. So wine was, you know, antiseptic in nature. So it would also be brought as a blessing, right, to them. But he brings them, I think it's powerful, though, that he brings them bread and wine. And then here's a description. He's the priest of the God Most High, and he blessed Abram. So the second thing I want you to see is that he blessed Abram, but he said Abram is blessed by, the God, by God Most High. So he recognizes in this moment of victory that Abram is blessed by God. It's a big deal. There's no indication in the Bible that Abram knew this guy from anyone else. 
he's coming back, and there could have been a million ways this goes, and he shows up, and, he, and the word in the Hebrew here, to bless means to, to take a knee, right? God has blessed Abram. Melchizedek saw it and knew it and knew he was God's man. That's, that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. God is worshipped in that moment. I can think of a bunch of ways Abram could react, but as God would have it, he gives a tenth or a tithe of the plunder to Melchizedek as an offering to honor God. And that's what the word says, right? That he, Abram gave him, a, gave him a tenth of everything. And that's the last we hear of this. Then he goes right back to the story. In the psalm, I think it's Psalm 110, the Hebrews quotes it over and over again, you will be a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about that in a minute, about why that's a big deal for Jesus. So I just want you for now to understand that there's this guy who shows up, brings bread and wine, says Abram is blessed by God, and then attributes Abram's success to God. God is worshipped. God is glorified in Abram's life after the victory. And, and, and that's, a, that's just a powerful reality um, that we learn from there. Okay, so back to seven. So this Melchizedek was king of Salem and, and priest of the God Most High. He met Abram returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. There's the word again. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, right? First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, or Shalem, which is peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the son of God, he remains a priest forever, okay? So this idea that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. I want to talk, and I know this is a little technical, but I want to talk this morning a little bit about this. So this idea of order, there was a priestly succession in Israel. But by referring back to Melchizedek, there's this other priesthood that's waiting for an heir or to be picked up and owned by someone else. And that's why at the end of chapter 6, when he says he's the forerunner in the order of Melchizedek, it means he's picking up that mantle that goes before the priesthood in uh, Israel. So there, there's, there's the idea. Verse 4. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham, right? So there's the priesthood that's in Israel that they all know about. That's how it works. This is what it's for, right? This man, however, did not trace a descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abram, Abraham, and he blessed him who had promises. And then verse 7 is key. And without doubt, Without a doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater person. A couple things. If Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, that means we've already said Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And in this case, in verse 7, it says the lesser is blessed by the greater. If Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is greater than Abraham, the father of our faith. Like, he's greater. And I know you guys are sitting there in, like, church world and you know, United States, and you're saying, well, yeah, we get this, man. Jesus is greater than everybody. But I, I think this is a radical concept for the Jewish faith to understand, and it's a radical thing for us to get in our hearts and get it right, that there's nothing greater, no one greater than Jesus himself. I think if we oriented our life in that way, uh, we would see things differently. Uh, we would see our own situations differently. We would see the reality of our lives differently if we understood that Jesus is greater um, than anything else, better than anything else. So picking up here, verse 7. And without doubt, without a doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. And in one case, the tenth is collected by men who die. There's, they're, they're limited human priests, right? They, they have a finite lifespan like all of us do, okay? 
but the tenth is collected by men who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be alive, the tenth is collected. That's, that's the Melchizedek collection. One might even say, and I love this, by the way. This will be a side note here. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth from Israel, paid a tenth through Abram because when Melchizedek met Abram, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. This is one of those like weird moments in Bible study <laughs> that you understand. What, what the argument is being made is this, that Melchizedek came to Abram and Abram paid Melchizedek. But the Levitical priesthood was still in Abram because none of them had been born yet, right? And so he's saying Levi paid a tenth to Melchizedek because he was in still in his great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, whatever, right? So what? I was thinking about this, and I thought, man, that's a weird thing to put in there. And I thought, do you believe, now listen to me, do you believe that by your decision to be obedient to God's call in your life, to be attentive to the Spirit of God, to be following after Christ, to be running to Him as we're called to do in Scripture with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, could affect and change your heritage could affect and change those who as the word says are still in your loins which is weird i get that it's weird to talk about that in church but that you could change generations of faith through your obedience to the good news see many of us i think we act like well this is for me this is um i'm going to make my decision and then the next generation makes their decision and next generation makes their decision. and i understand that your father's faith is not your faith i get that right but the word says that the, the, you could, it says you could say that the Levitical priesthood paid a tithe through Abraham, attributing righteousness in some way. Do you believe that, that, do you believe that, that, that it's that important that you're obedient to God? Man, I found, I found that challenging and I found it hopeful as a follower of Jesus with you. I found it challenging because I know I fail and I'm sure you feel that way. And I found it hopeful because I said, Lord, if I give everything to you, if I, if I follow you with all my heart and all my soul, all my strength, you might bless my great, great grandchildren because of it. You might change our family tree. What an awesome idea from scripture this morning. Um, not because of us, but because of him, because of our Savior and G Lord Jesus Christ who we flee to, our sure and certain hope. All right, so picking it up now, we're going to talk more about the law here. Um, so here we go. In verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. That's the Levitical priesthood. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must also be a change in the law. This is, again, deep thinking. I hope you go with me this morning. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. 14, because it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regards to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have then, what, we, what has been said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And that's a big, crazy thought, right? And maybe go... So what, you know? He's saying, if, if the law was given and priests were required to meet the law, then there's a new priest, there's a new law. That's, that's how that has to work. And he says that this new law, and I want you just to catch the end of it, 
is not a priesthood based on the regulation of ancestry. And that word is sarx in the Greek, which is flesh. It's not based on a fleshly inheritance or right or anything like that. But it's based on, and what does the word say? The power of an indestructible life. That's what the new priesthood is based on. That's the claim that Christ makes over all creation, which I know is hard today, but that's the claim he makes, is that he's God and Lord over all creation because his life was not broken, not destroyed. In a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion together. You're going to have an opportunity to receive communion if you feel uh, compelled, and if you know the Lord, you're invited to receive it. And one of the things that I was thinking about as we were preparing is this idea that sometimes in our communion, we say... Um, uh, this is, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. But if you look at the Greek, he never said that in the Greek. He broke the bread and said, this is my body for you. Because what Hebrews says is that his body was never broken. It was indestructible. The word literally means unbreakable. Could not be shattered. Could not be separated. He could not be unbound from the task and the load he was carrying. Because he's the Christ. And that is is the entrance by which he makes into the priesthood forever in the order of Melchizedek. I hope you see that. It's not because he was the guy in line for the throne. It's not because he was the one that was, it's because of his indestructible life that he's priest forever and ever. And that is our sure and certain hope. Look at verse 17. For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, that's from Psalm 110, where that's referred to to repeatedly in Hebrews. The former, the former regulation is set aside then because it was weak and useless. For the law has made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which to draw near to God. I want to take just a second to talk about this and then we're going to wrap up, right? But here's this idea. We have this kind of odd relationship with the law as Christians, right? Because we know that Jesus said some things of the law like not a jot or a tittle will pass away until all these things have been fulfilled in the law. And, and some people love the law. We love the law because we can say, well, here's the boundary and you're not living up to it. We can hold each other to a higher standard and we can, you know, kind of um, use it as a grid to look at our own lives and lives of others as what righteousness looks like. But I think I was just blown away by how powerfully it's stated here in the Bible. And I don't know if you read it or not, but the Bible says so powerfully, um, it is weak and useless. That the law is weak and useless. And the law has made no one perfect. I think in our uh, culture, we struggle with this as well. If, if you ever, do you ever think about stupid laws and how they come into effect? Do you guys ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're like, that can't be a law. And you're like, that's the dumbest law ever. Like no spitting on the sidewalk or, you know, I don't know, like this, this, the dumbest laws you can think of, right? The dumbest laws you can think of. And you say, well, how did that happen? But invariably what happens is that whenever we see someone else doing something we don't, we don't like, we say, let's make a rule about that. And then we make a rule, and the law is just there for transgressors. Like, if you're, if you're the kind of person that's going to obey the law, you, you don't need the law. And if you're the kind of person that's going to break the law, the law is just going to cause you to break it all the time, and you're going to go to jail. I watched this thing about criminalization, you know, and how we criminalize people for things we don't like. Here, I want to talk to you for a minute just about this. I know this is going to be crazy, and we're going to have some disagreement, and that's okay. And I'm not saying this is like, this is, but I want you to be thinking with me about how the reality of this works. Does even our law make anyone perfect? Even our laws. Let's set aside the biblical laws for a minute and say, does our laws make things perfect? We make laws 
make things illegal, then people do what they've been doing and violate the law the way they put them in jail. But they're not made perfect. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when people come out of jail, they're worse than when they went in, <laughs> right? So you go, all right, so, so what does then? And, and I think the word answers it here for us, right? A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And that's the law of the gospel. That Jesus gave his life on the cross that we could draw near to God, that we could know him, wait a minute, that his Holy Spirit could live in us, and that righteousness would manifest from us through our relationship with God. Jesus says things like this, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor yourself. Against such things there is no law. You can live in that space in Christ's name. This new priesthood is required because it's bringing about righteousness. This idea that we can legislate uh, morality. But here's this truth that the only thing, and I know I said we're that disagreement, but we don't really have disagreement because I've talked to some brothers and sisters who, under, I, and I know they've thought a lot about this. And they say, you still have to have laws, and I, I get that. I get that, right? But it ultimately does not bring about a redeemed life. Only a changed heart does. Only a changed mind, transformed, changes your life. Not a law. It doesn't. And so the same is true here. The better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Right? And then here's a couple more things. And it was not without an oath or a promise. Others became priests without any oath at all. They were just in line to be the priests. But he became a priest by the oath when God said... The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This is Jesus. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee or the guarantor of a better covenant, a better promise. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from a continuing office, but here it is. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely. I want to talk about these few points here. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This, this idea that Jesus doesn't quit on us. He doesn't quit on us. He never quit. He didn't. He gave his life and he went to the tomb, but he never quit. Three days later, he was raised to new life, but he never quit. He met with the apostles and disciples and he told them the good news, but he never quit. He ascended to the heaven and the word says he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding on our behalf because he never quits. He doesn't. And that's the good news. We have a priest who doesn't quit, who's not breakable. The word says in 24, Jesus lives forever, ever, and therefore has a permanent priesthood. He is able to save, save completely. And by the way, it doesn't just mean completely like he will save all of me. It also means he will save forever. There's, there's assurance. You heard that word in church before. There's assurance of salvation in Jesus' name. He saves you perfectly and forever in his name. He doesn't quit. And then those who come to God through him, he saves completely because he always lives. And man, this is the last thing. He always lives to intercede for us. I don't know if you believe that. And we, we sang that song earlier, Broken Hallelujah, and we say, when everything else is taken away. But I, I want you to know this morning that the assurance you have in Christ is that he is interceding 
for us, that he's alive right now to intercede for us. And you might say to me, well, Bill, today, I don't even know if I believe any of this stuff, right? I, man, I've seen stuff, and I, I, I think, I'm a thinking person, you know, and I, I've thought about the stuff, and I just don't think it's true for me. Listen, Jesus is interceding for you right now, and maybe someone invited you today because you need to hear the gospel that you are not God, and that God is God, and that he is interceding for you right now. He's, he's pleading that you would be saved. That's the power of the gospel. It's only our willful refusal to receive him that condemns us. That's my understanding of scripture. We willfully ignore the son of God. I'll find my own way. I won't take it. And that's a tragedy. This morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me wherever you are. But if, if, if the Lord has, you know, awoken something, if, if, you, if you hear that, if you sense that at all, I would invite you into that space with him. It's not mine to regulate, you know, but I feel it myself as I talk from the word. Like, I feel it myself. Will you go to that place in prayer? Will you trust him more completely? Will you believe in him for a promise for your children's children's children, right? Um, will you believe him for a promise that will last for eternity? That's a sure and certain hope, an anchor for our soul. Pray with me, if you will. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for the assurance that we have in Jesus' name. And we, we thank you for the high priest in the order of Melchizedek who came as a forerunner of our faith. And we thank you, Father, for this great and radical proclamation that Jesus isn't breakable and that he died. He laid his life down only to take it up again for your glory and for our good. We claim not our righteousness this morning, but his and Father, as we are convicted even of our sinfulness and our sin, we, we, we rest in assurance that you are fully and perfectly saving us, saving us from this brokenness. Father, for uh, my friends who are here today and, they, and they're struggling, and, and, and I just pray that they would have an assurance of your Holy Spirit that you don't quit, that you never quit. And, and uh, Father, for those of my friends who are here today who don't yet know you as Lord and Savior, oh, I pray, I pray Father, that today would be a day that they would bow in knee, that they would, they would lower their high and, you know, um, prideful heads and minds to you, to your truth and to your gospel, and they would submit to the only path that leads to righteousness and freedom. In Jesus' name. I, I thank you so much for that journey that so many of us have taken of, of uh, humility and honesty and uh, brokenness ourselves that we can be fully redeemed in Jesus' name. And I pray that as we um, continue to worship together today that you would be honored, honored amongst your people. May you be glorified as, as, uh, as we repent and believe good news today. We pray it in Jesus' name.